I appreciate you for joining us today. It's going to be a very fun conversation. I know we were talking off air about the current state of things where we are and we're all in different parts of the country. But I think the focus today is really going to be on relationships, more importantly, the relationships you have with business partners, the suppliers, the distributors, and you know how we all interact with breweries and how we can do our best to make the most of these partnerships. But to start, Rachel, you're going to be first. Just go around in a circle, tell everybody who you're here, who you are, why you're here, and a 60-second recap about your life in general. Okay. Um, my name's Rachel Greeter, and I am the VP of Fun at Cedar Brew Insurance. Um, so I handle um, startup breweries to very large breweries insurance policies from New Jersey to California um, and everywhere in between. Uh, prior to that, I was with Sam Adams for seven years. Uh, and then prior to that, I was a bartender, manager, front of the house, back of the house. I've been in the alcohol industry in some fashion for the past 20 years. And I'm based out of New Jersey. Well, thanks for being here, Rachel. On to you, Randy. Uh, my name is Randy Griggs. I am currently the National Marketing Manager for 21st Amendment Brewery based out of San Francisco. Uh, prior to joining the brewery, I worked for Northern California's largest Miller Coors distributor, overseeing their entire craft portfolio and ensuring that uh, our craft portfolio was uh, uh, you know, on the minds of our sales team and uh, doing training. I'm a uh, you know, uh, beer judge, Cicerone. I've been in the beer industry since I was 21. Well, welcome, Randy. And Kelly, we have two of you. I'm not sure which of you is the correct one, so I've got you both there. There we go. Joanne, always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, so it's it's kind of nice to be on a panel with people that have been around the industry for a while, I'm not going to lie, because I, too, have been around since 1991. Um, I am currently with White Labs as the head of business development, so really overseeing international, our marketing, our education, kind of what we're talking about, right? Like making sure how do we build those relationships. Um, prior to this stint at White Labs, um, I actually left the industry for a little while and worked in biotech, so fermentation on the biotech side. So it's been really fun to watch the Moderna uh, vaccine come about with my old employer on Lanza um, for COVID. But then I was with White Labs before that, and prior to that, I was the marketing director at the BA, and when I was back on the East Coast, few breweries that no longer exist um that uh got my start in so um it's nice to be on this panel and i look forward to hopefully having some having a little bit of fun with it uh but i'm curious too to see some of the questions that we're gonna get no this is definitely gonna be fun and we're gonna start pretty easy but rachel i want to kind of go with a personal question for you before we begin insurance <laughs> not often the sexiest of topics when it comes to the craft beer industry no, you chose to start a company that involves insurance and just breweries, correct? You only work with breweries or do you have other customers yeah. as well? I do. So, um, Milena, my um, childhood friend actually started this, this whole side of things. Um, so Cedar Brew has been around like somewhere around like six, six ish years. Um, I came on in 2015. Um, so it's been fi over five years now. And, um, really where it came from is her family has an insurance agency here in Flemington and she started in like 2013, 2014, really getting into the industry and, and loving craft beer and saying, and going to our local breweries and talking to them about insurance because she had been an agent herself for so long. And as she's talking to them, she's like, what, you know, talk about your insurance, what's going on with it. And obviously at that time, nobody really knew 
what an insurance policy policy for a brewery should look like. And when she got her hands on one, she really dissected it and found, oh my God, these people don't have anything that if God forbid, you know, they had to recall something, there was a spoilage issue, there's a contamination issue, um, things were not properly covered. So bringing me into the, into the mix um, after having a long uh, career with Sam Adams and really, you know, in 2009 when I started, like there were barely any women in, in the, on the sales force um, and craft beer was like Jack's pumpkin ale. Like that was the last thing I remember serving at, uh, at one of the last bars I bartended at. And so when I started to get involved with it, it was just breweries. And then it started to kind of evolve into kombucha breweries. Um, we insure a ton of kombucha brewers and a lot of people I talk to will talk to another agent and come back to me and they're like, they don't know what I'm talking about. They have no idea what I'm doing. Um, you know, and we have some wineries and distilleries, but beer is very near and dear to my heart. So that's kind of, that's probably the biggest part of my portfolio. Um, but that's, uh, kind of it in a nutshell. No, I think a lot of what you just spe said speaks to the craft beer industry as a whole and just the importance of education, because I'm sure you spent a lot of time educating breweries on the value of a good insurance policy. Well, it might not be the most exciting topic. It's a necessary topic that you have to tackle. And I, I think for each of you, you know, the educational role is very, very important in all you do. You know, how do you educate potential partners? You know, Rachel, whether it's an insurance client or Randy, whether it's a distributor or just merely your sales reps, you know, how do you use education to make your life easier and build these relationships? Well, I can tell you for the brewery, you know, education is such a huge uh, part of, like you said, with the distributor, you know, I spent a lot of time at the distributor and it's really tough to get your messaging not only through your own sales team, but through your distributor sales team to a retailer and then to a consumer. And that is a long line of playing operator to tell a story that's you know intrinsic to, to your messaging, the way you want it told and, and what you think is important about your brand, how you believe you differentiate yourself uh, from other breweries. So uh, having uh, that opportunity to you know, first find distributors that you can, you know, find a way to determine that they actually do put their money where their mouth is, where they do allow you access to their sales team, that you can get in front of a GSM, a general sales meeting and, and imbue your messaging, uh, you know, into their vocabulary and, and have them, you know, care, you know, obviously, um, you know, before COVID, you know, one of the major things that breweries love to do is try and invite as many of those salespeople to the brewery as possible, um, where, where you can really kind of get that, um, that story, get them excited about the brand you get more sales from a distributor sales rep through just anecdotal you know them saying oh you know they did you hear they did this or they're you know i'm so excited about this project that they're working on and those are the types of sales that i think uh uh you know craft retailers really buy into more so than you know the stats of the package or you know unless you're talking grocery chains they're not necessarily looking at uh at the iri trends or anything like that you know they, they care about a genuine story and so uh so getting in front of those people sharing with them you know the the whys of, of what you're doing uh is, is very important to us in, in sharing uh and building our brand but you know randy no, i was gonna say i just think it's a really such a good point around genuine right? Like they want to be able to make a human connection with you. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, as a supplier, like I like it as a supplier, right? Everybody wants 
a good quality product at the best price with that that support on the back end, right? Like yeah. Rachel, to your point, right? You get kombucha brewers are so excited because you actually understand what kombucha is, yep. the organisms and everything, right? But then, you know, beyond that, in order to take that relationship to the next level, you've got to make that connection, which obviously the last nine months have made it hard for everybody. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. But so you have to continue like to tell that story and make sure that you're making it personal for them on top of being genuine. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and it's, you know, it's also the fact that we have, there's a lot, you know, there's some competition out there as far as other insurance agents that, you know, um, I like to say they like to collect breweries like they are collecting baseball cards. Um, because when I get my hands on that policy, I'm like, wow, your agent doesn't fully understand exactly what you're doing. Whether it's a winery, a distillery, a kombucha brewer, or an actual craft brewer. And, you know, it. I think it goes a long way because I don't think I've ever met anybody in this industry that comes from... 12 years of bartending, working in a restaurant, in a bar, five, uh, seven years of working for the, one of the largest breweries in the country, if not world at this point. Well, crap. Um, and then now, you know, also not to bring it up, but being a woman in this industry and, and being in this industry for 20 years and continuously doing something in this industry and having this now five and a half years of um, insuring people across the board. Um, I don't, there's nobody else like me out there. I know that. Um, but it helps, you know, when my clients and, and I'm talking with them, they know that my history has been in this industry and I'm educated, you know, to be able to sell them an insurance policy that I know that they need. Um, no, I'll say no, you're not, not just a marketing person or insurance person who just tries to collect as many clients as they can. You and, truly have a passion for craft beer and you have the experience to back it. And, you know, the other thing and a lot of what I see is, you know, um, in this day and age and over the past few years, the people that are opening breweries, they're, you know, late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, um, you know, and I've seen it is that they're, you know, talking to mom and dad and they're like, who, you know, I need, I need a lawyer, I need an accountant, I need a graphic designer, I need an insurance agent. And then when it comes to insurance, it's, hey, use Joe from State Farm or Jake from State Farm. He's been insuring our home for 35 years. That's not right. <laughs> I mean, there's no ways around it. Um, you know, so it, it takes, you know, having the right education um, or the right background and the experience, you know, not just going with somebody off the street that's going to give you the cheapest, you know, product, because at the end of the day, you know, in our tagline is because coverage matters. I mean, we are coverage crazy. I mean, you know, I'm obviously I'm able to find um, the right policy. And I will say 99.9% .9 of the time, the pricing and the premiums just blow people out of the water from what they were paying originally. And then to add the right coverage on top of it is like, it's, it's a, it's such a good feeling at the end of the day. It really is. Well, you're giving, no, them, giving them what they need, right? What they actually need, not what they're being sold. Big exactly. difference, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Fun time. Okay. Are you with us or are you frozen over there? Okay, well, sorry. I'm going to go into the next topic. You. you tell me. Oh, you are with us. Hey, so I'd like to hear a little bit about how you use education, you know, as someone who owns a brewery, 
to make sure when you're forming these relationships with potential partners, how do you educate about your brand to make sure they're doing their job? Digital partner being our distribution partner, that we said? Yeah, in your sake, yes. Um, so for me, the education, I looked at what they had said. And so the, the education part goes, obviously, there needs to be a story. But what I have found with most of the partners that we deal with, um, basically being a brewery that had slow volume products for years and then figured out some high volume products shortly after, um, I learned very, very quickly that what they really want to know ultimately is that you're passionate about what you do, but that you can make them money. And so whether it's a distribution partner or a retail partner, it's all about how your product is streamlined to have the correct margin at the correct time, the correct supply chain, um, and of course the marketing dollars behind it or the sampling product behind it. And, um, and more than anything, that has been the biggest difference for what worked for us. No, thanks for sharing that. Now I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper in what we look into for potential partners. We've talked a lot about, you know, just making sure you have a partner who understands the educational components of what you're selling or what service you're offering. We've also talked a little bit about, you know, just being genuine. What are some other pre-qualifiers when you're looking for a service? You know, Rachel, when a brewery is looking for, you know, an insurance provider, or Kelly, you're looking for a distributor, or Randy, you're looking for new accounts, or Joanne, you know, you're looking for people to purchase your products or services. You know, what are some of the most important things to you to look for in a potential company to work with? I'll jump in. And I, I think the first thing is just, and, and Rachel's kind of already touched on it and Randy did too. And, and even Kelly, like you need alignment, right? The first thing is just, you know, not, not, are you buying what I'm selling, but do you understand what I'm selling? Do we have, you know, like, if we're talking, I mean, we can talk yeast, right? You know, are we talking the same pitch rate? Are we talking the same type of flavor profile? Do we understand, you know, fundamentally, do the companies have a similar philosophy or a similar approach, right? And like specifically when we look for distributors, you know, a lot of times in this industry and, and it's like, oh, we get, we get, we'll sell White Labs. We're like, and I'm like, we're not another commodity product. We're not, a, we have to make sure. Do you know how to store us? Do you understand how to give that technical support? Yeah. Um, you know, um, all the time in our inbox a lot. I, I want to be a distributor, right? I want to be a distributor. And again, we have very few. And when we do have those distributors, there is a reason, there is an alignment, whether it be a customs purpose, whether it's, you know, for an ease to go to market because they can store. So, but I say, you know, it all fundamentally comes back to you're sitting across the table, their personality, the genuine comes through and there is an alignment in, in a philosophy, you know, in where these companies would go together when they're doing business. I got to jump in because I see a lot of this in, in the past number of years, you know, kind of the same thing, but a little bit different in that for us, it's, you know, I prospect all the time or I get word of mouth like, hey, you know, Cedar Bridge is such a great job for our policy, they were able to save this, they were able to save this. Um, but you do get, I get very, it happens very few times, but um, you you get somebody that, that'll just throw it right out there like, hey, I'm looking to save money and, and cut corners and you help me. I'm like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> at the end of the day, Ethic, I mean, you take a code of ethics and you get your insurance license, you know, like I will never cut corners to like to to help you out. Like it just it doesn't do you any good and it doesn't do me any good. And um, 
so you do get a couple couple of accounts here and there that will you know just reach out to say hey i'm, I'm just shopping and it's like well we want a partner for life just like you want a partner for life and and that relationship you know it was funny um because you had somebody on earlier this morning um from the panel and we were texting and you know it's i have a few people that are in my phone that i'll text you know merry christmas at you know christmas time or thanksgiving and it's you know i've built those relationships over a number of years because i've earned their trust they've earned my trust and i'm i'm bringing you into my circle like if you're attached to my facebook group and seeing my kids that's a big deal you know um but you know those are the relationships that that we want you know to have good solid ones that we know that next year at policy you know renewal time you're not just going to leave us because somebody dangled you know a two thousand dollar savings but in that they also took away your spoilage coverage and you didn't know about it until you had a claim and then you you know kind of come crawling back but it so kind of the, similar but that's kind of how we, we um uh kind of how we view things when it comes to that relationship uh with a new client that's Randy, go ahead Oh no, I, I'm 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 good. Those were those were great points. Saying on on alignment, I really I, I would say you know working at a distributor as long as I did, it is so important that uh, that you find a distributor partner that is dedicated to being your partner, to understanding you're still figuring things out. One of the things that uh, I I saw the most though when when things didn't go well for a brewery is. Uh, it's so important that you know what your goals are, that you have a clear understanding of what your needs are before you even show up at a distributor to start uh, to, to interview them, to understand what they do. You have to have a very clear understanding of what you're looking for. You know, if you're going to be an, an on-premise, you know, draft heavy, you know, craft rotator bar type brand, if you have dreams of getting to three or four facings in your local grocery chains um, and, and, and understand that, you know, with all the different networks of distributors that are available to you, you're going to have some that are very strong in one category, but not so strong in the others. And so, you know, understanding where you need them to be strong and then come up with solutions on your side to make up for their weaknesses. And, and you know, at the end of the day, you look at it and say, you know, is that a scenario that works for me to build the brand uh, that, that I think we're capable of? So I, I'd say, you know, just understanding yourself and, and know everyone's going to have pros and cons. Everyone's going to have strengths and weaknesses. And, and you just have to be aware of that and, and come up with those solutions to compensate. No, Randy, great points there. Now, how do you best communicate your needs with potential partners? Is it, you know, all vocal? Is it you have written pamphlets you give out? Or what's the methods you take to make sure they understand exactly what you're looking for in a potential, you know, relationship? Well, that's, that's well, definitely that's one of the definitely. things that I think is the most important thing between a, uh, a brewery and a distributor is uh, clear goals, documented expectations with metrics, with regular reporting, with regular trackability, with open lines of communication saying, you know, what is our world? What I needed a target list for each of your reps, and we need to have an agreed upon penetration and saturation into that list. You know, if it's the first 50%, we want to be at 50% of, uh, you know, your these accounts by May 1st. And then don't wait until May 2nd 
to let everybody know how how you how it ended up you know and follow up on on february 1st and march 1st and april 1st and ensure that everybody understands what the goal is what the agreement was and are you or are you not on track uh to to meet those goals no that's fantastic insight no kelly i know you wrote a, a book on all your experiences as a brewery owner which is quite humorous you know when you look for a distributor partner because i know you've had some bad ones we'll get to that later on you know what do you look for in a good partner um well so one of the things that i've learned is it's very easy to get caught up in the fact that the ceo or the vp of on-premise or there's there's certain people structurally within the organization that are on board with your brand conceptually they're on board with your brand, but over a three to five, you know, hopefully 10 year partnership, those people tend to not be there. And so I've done entirely too many times where the trusting the right person ends up being the wrong person. So I've kind of learned that what works best for me is to find a distributor that's strong in the areas that I want them to be strong in not so much because of an individual person or something that exists today that could go away, even a, even a partnership. I've, I've had distributors tell me that um, you know, they've got an in at the statewide um, liquor store. And so that's a big reason to go with them. And then it turns out that they've got an in at five stores and they, they know the guy, but he won't give them the state. So, you know, kind of really inspecting through the retailer's version of what that distributor does and doesn't do on the street and in person. Um, so I spent a lot more time calling the retailers beforehand, um, asking you know, the guy that runs beer at the coolest beer bar in town, what do you think of that guy and, and how do they work? And you know, what's the worst thing you've heard? And um, not surprisingly, they're usually pretty forthcoming with that information. So for me, I guess at the end of the day, it's, it's enough staff. So a big enough staff to be able to handle the market, um, it's less so about the quality of that staff because I tend to try to hold the responsibility of I've got to go in and give them the training and ongoing support to make them great staff. So in some ways they can't close. That's my fault as much as that shouldn't be. That's what I've learned. Um, but really just kind of the structure and wherewithal. Um, if they're a distributor that pays net zero. That's an awesome distributor. Uh, that also helps. Cool. Now, Kelly, I want to go a little bit further into what you're talking about right now. Before you even, you know, build that relationship with the potential distributor, how do you find them in the first place? If you're launching in a new market, what sources are you going to use to make sure you're interviewing the right people to work with your company? The best source that I've come up with is to look up. I'm sorry. You're all good, Kelly. So one of the best sources I found was literally to look up my competitors, people that have a similar brand that I have or um, even, even. Oh, no. Randy, I think you were nodding your head about that. I'm going to let you just. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, he made a, a great point uh, earlier, too. You're going to find out a lot more about the local distributor from the retailer than asking the distributor, uh, you, you know, in a conference room. Uh, you know, I, we, we were all trained the first day to say we're brand builders, not brand collectors. Uh, it's it's uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, 
too too easily used of a of a concept. But uh, with Kelly, Kelly back, I I was just telling them I totally agreed that looking at uh, at competitors and and where they're at um, is a good place to start. Please continue. I think Kelly might have a little trouble with signal right now. Kelly, perhaps a refresh might, might be valuable. Well, Joanne, I'll, I'll let you kind of take this one. Because, I mean... Next to the router. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. Yep. Kelly, well, actually, well, I was going to keep going. If you if we have him, keep talking. Go ahead, Joanne. Oh, shoot. So what were you going to ask me? Oh, I was going to talk to you a little bit about, you know, just these relationships. You know, while you're not, you know, necessarily forming many relationships with distributors, you know, when White Labs is doing outreach or a brewery comes to White Labs to become a potential partner, you know, what qualifications are you looking for? And, you know, how are you finding, you know, one, new breweries to work with, but how are breweries finding you in the scheme of things? Is it just a simple Google search or is it, you know, brand recognition? What are the best tools you know, you've seen for growth? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, I mean, a little bit of everything, let's be honest, right? Especially right now where you can't go out and be face-to-face -face and, and our salespeople, trust me, you know, they've been sitting behind a computer uh, for a long time, me as well, um, and it's challenging. But, you know, a lot of it is word of mouth, right? Especially on our side, you know, similar to Rachel, right? If a brewery has a good experience, they are happy with the yeast performance. They're happy with the fermentation. They're happy with the flavor profile, you know, and, and this industry is very um, collaborative anyway. And they tell people and they say, yeah, I, I've heard about White Labs, you know, so there's a lot of that word of mouth, but then it goes back to really that education and teaching and understanding and you know, we talk a lot, which Rachel mentioned it too, you know, the white labs difference. What is the white labs difference? What makes us, you know, unique? And it's the relationships. It's making sure that we're giving you technical support. It's the education. It's our R&D team going out and speaking at events like this, making sure that they understand that we are, you know, they're about the quality of the beer. We're about the quality of the yeast. And honestly, without good quality yeast, you're not going to have good, good fermentation. You won't have good beer. So we always usually held a little bit more accountable than molten hops. Just going to say that. Um, and I always say without us, there is beer anyway. Our Katie Sow, our uh, head of sales says, without yeast, life is bittersweet. Um, so, you know. That needs to be a bumper sticker. Uh, it's yeah, going to be one of our new t-shirts in our brewery. So we're working on that. Um, Amazing. It was supposed to be on the side of our wall at our CBC booth in Texas back in, yeah, a few months ago. Um, but I mean, so much of it, right, is is we're out there, we're a supplier, we need to go out and find new business. We have to be responsible, if you want to say good corporate citizens, and make sure that we're putting the quality and we're investing in innovation and making sure that the product that we're putting out, everything that's there is what we say it is, right? And when you do that and people are happy, then they're willing to talk about you. And then even taking their stories and instead of us just standing up and preaching to the choir, you know, Randy, to your point, right? Like sometimes you're sitting there talking, you know, we've been talking a lot about our beer lately because we we are now canning our beer. And like when we say it, it doesn't really mean much. I mean, it's me. I work for White Labs and the head of business development. Of course, I'm going to tell you we're, we're badasses and we're awesome. And right. And these are all the innovations. 
But when you let the, the people that are working with you talk about it, it, it comes across to you know Randy's original point and Rachel's original point more genuine, right? So, and that builds your community because we've, you know, one of the things we've been doing a lot more as, you know, we do on our social media, we've been teaching some of our customers who are willing to talk, you know, and I won't put words in their mouth. I won't, it's like, it's your story. And if you're willing to tell it, then when we do that, like other brewers see that and they're like, wow, they're not just a yeast supplier. They are a partner with that brewery. They have created that relationship. And so that kind of speaks to it as well sometimes. So, but education, it always comes back to education, education both internally and externally. Um, we're working on right now and we've, we've been doing this, but we're really working on right now doing a lot of video onboarding for our company, but that's great for our employees, but we're trying to create it where the video onboarding is also for the retailers that sell white labs for the distributors to use for their salespeople that might be in China or in Vietnam or, you know, um, Japan, Australia. So that we're, when we do this onboarding, it's not just for us. It's for all of our partners that work with us. And we want to make sure that when we do it, that that's how it comes across. So they can understand more about not just the products and services, but the people and the company behind what we do. Was this video onboarding something that came from COVID or was it something you had planned to do for a it while? Was, it was something we had planned to do for a while. But the nice part is, is that with COVID, if anybody has noticed, we've amped up our video production quite a bit. Um, and we have a new YouTube channel and stuff. And so we've actually, with COVID, invested in a lot of the equipment, like you, Randy, a lot of the equipment <laughs> to create better videos and create better um, engagement that way. And so the quality of the product, I will just say, post COVID is going to be considerably better than what it would have been pre COVID. Awesome. And Joanne, I want to go back to an earlier point you said about just the importance of yeast in the brewing process. A lot of times, Randy, and don't take offense to this, you know, working at the brewery gets seen as the romantic angle of the craft beer industry. And, and you know, insurance, yeast don't get always seen as the exciting topics. But imagine, you know, Rachel and Joanne's businesses go away. That's a vital part of the brewing, you know, ecosystem that we need. It's very vital to the success of everyone. So, I think the value of everybody's business partners shouldn't be underappreciated. I think that's something, you know, we just need to respect our partners more than anything. But also, Rachel, you mentioned earlier, a lot of people in the craft beer industry, and Randy, I'm not picking on you right now, but from the brewing side, they might often just look for something for cheap or for free. Like, hey, I need a logo. Do you know anybody who can do one cheap? You know, why shouldn't breweries be doing that and why should they be willing to invest in things that represent their brand and partnerships that represent their brand, you know, better at a higher quality, even if it might cost a little more than they were hoping to spend. Um, I can speak on to the insurance side of it. Um, you know, I've had a couple of times where I've seen a policy for instance, and they're paying, let's say $10,000 less than they probably should. What ends up happening when you really dive into that policy is, like I was saying before, there's missing coverages, and it's usually because somebody's trying to just cut corners and trying to save money. But at the end of the day, when there is a claim and there's no coverage, the agent's going to get you know the horns first. But um, when you really dive into the coverages, the biggest thing I will tell you is the sales. So the way that a policy for the for the breweries are kind of set up is that 
the sales, whether it's on-premise versus off-premise, has a big has a lot of has a lot to do with the overall premium. So, for instance, I always think about this one. I I met with a brewery a few years ago, um, and I'm looking at their policy, and I'm going, "Are these sales figures even correct?" And the 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 owner's telling me, "Oh yeah, these are correct," and I'm like. But they're flipped. So basically what was happening is that their on-premise business was showing that they had less than what they were actually paying for or actually rated for. And then their off-premise business was a lot less than what they were actually paying for. So for instance, they you know had a, a million dollars of off-premise business and their tap room sales were pretty low. But what ends up happening is that the carriers look at that like, well, if you have more of an on-premise business and your sales are a lot higher, your premium is going to be higher. Whereas if you're more distribution heavy, your premium is going to be a lot less because that risk of somebody coming in, sitting at a bar, you know, in New Jersey here, you can't obviously serve food at the brewery. Um, you know, maybe they they don't know what a 9.8 uh, double IPA is going to do for that or do to them because they haven't eaten lunch. Now you possibly have either a general liability claim of somebody slipping and falling or falling because they were drunk or a liquor liability claim of them leaving and sorry to say, but slamming into a family, you know, a family vehicle. Um, so what ends up happening is that then they, you know, start to look at the audit that comes in a year later. Well, the sales were so incorrect because your agent decided to give you a break that now you've got an audit that you have to show that you're showing the correct numbers and now you're paying ten thousand dollars more than you would have because your agent decided well i'm going to give you a break now but it really didn't do anything for anybody in the long run so um you know and it, it happens a lot so it's again that constant education of letting you know listen being upfront with me as much as you can with your sales with your property values well, only yes, you might see a little bit of a higher premium, but you're covered. And then when there is an audit and they ask you exactly what happened over the course of the year, you can justify it. No, that's a really great point. I mean, it just, I think it really speaks to the importance of making sure you're working with a partner who knows the industry can provide you the best value. At, you know, not always the best price, but the one that's going to do the best for you. Isn't and Randy, fun? yeah, no, that's great. Randy, do you have anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, I mean, as far as cutting corners, I, I, I think uh, we, we operate in a uh, in, in a luxury space, and you know, we've we've preached for years that we believe people will pay a premium for our products because we produce a premium product. And so, you know, for me, that that extends to the garments that we print for our t-shirts and the, you know, the every element that someone can touch with our logo on it needs to meet a certain expectation because we've set that bar and said, we're a premium product. We think you, you should, you know, consider paying a little bit more for our product than someone else. You can't then turn around and, and hand them something that they don't feel is worth the value or proposition that, that you've, you know, presented. Oh, great. And Randy, while I got you, I think this question will get a great response from you. Warren with Beer Marketers asks, can some of y'all speak on distributor brewery relationship? 
and also put some notes in here for the breweries who don't have their stuff together. He says, too often we get the phone call for sales consulting from a disgruntled brewery, but find that when digging into, they do not have the organizational structure, i.e. brew calendars, branding guidelines, or goals that a solid distributor is looking for from their brand partner. What are some things you do at 21st Amendment to make sure you're on the same page with that distributor? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question, and it's a it's a a struggle for so many small breweries. So many breweries get opened by someone that's genuinely passionate about the ingredients and about the beer and about the process and the community that we all get to you know live our lives in, and 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 there's this gap in the sophistication level that uh, you know if you want to be with a button down big boy brewer uh, distributor that's distributing brands. Uh, you know, big national brands, we'll leave them unnamed. Uh, you know, they they build their entire business model to conduct their business based on uh, on a blueprint that's given to them by the brewery. If you show up with a, a notepad for your annual business planning meeting, instead of a presentation with goals, expectations, uh, you know, uh, reasoning data, uh, you're, you're gonna end up feeling like you're one of those collected breweries and you're going to feel like, well, they're not doing what they said they would do. They're not doing their part uh, when in actuality you haven't given them the tools and resources that they would honestly need to have any level of success with your brand. Uh, so find someone that can coach you through putting together an annual business plan would be the first thing I, I would tell you. A, a distributor builds their entire annual uh, you know, uh, their, their projections for the year, their plans, their incentive schedule, everything all stems from the all important annual business planning uh, season, as, as we refer to it, that, that, you know, basically happens in the third quarter of every year. Show up with some asks uh, and, and reach out to your brand manager, or your sales manager, and get some information from them so that you're asking for the right thing. You know, don't go into a market that has a thousand craft accounts and ask for 5,000 placements it, it, you know you, you have to illustrate that you have some sense of uh, of what your potential in that market is and so ask for benchmarking uh, uh, metrics what are other breweries my size doing what what breweries are you excited about in your market what are they doing that you know it gets your guys pumped up and what are their levels of, of, of penetration what are the, what are the accounts that they sell best in what you know what are you what are your benchmarks for us as a partner that you're going to expect for us you know it, there's there's a lot of introspection that's needed for a good relationship and that that, that goes for for beer any relationship that, that you have you know you need you need to look at yourself and make sure that you're doing the right things first um so having someone on the team that knows how, how to build that that knows how to read reports and you know i i'm a i'm a data nerd i love numbers but but what's really important you know i'm uh I see a lot of people put up eye charts and uh, you know, what's, what's impactful is, is data analysis. If you can look at data and, and draw conclusions that are actionable and say, you know, based on these numbers, I think I, I can identify an opportunity here and then put together a strategy to go and leverage that opportunity for your brand. You go in with a, with a mentality like that at the very least, even if you don't have all the data or you don't have all the, all the solutions, if you go in with that mentality and ask a distributor, hey, what, what could I do to actually leverage this opportunity based on the reports you sent me? And at least now you're speaking in the same kind of cadence and, and, and the same vocabulary that they're used to. Um, 
and and so you know try try and try and you know behave as though they're and they're they're programmed to behave that way because of the bigger brands and so you know the quicker you that you know small craft breweries figure out it's on us to you know step it up and 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 figure out the that gap the 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 more happy you're going to be with your distributor in the end Man, Randy, I love your passion. Yeah, that was fantastic. So good. <laughs> well, thank you. Like a quarter of the way through that, your energy level just went through the roof. And we're like just listening <laughs> at the edge of our seat. Like, yeah. I, I, I do. I, I am pretty passionate about what I do. I do love this industry. I'll tell you. We're not no, worthy. We're not worthy. Yeah. Here today. So kind of ask one question. I, I was going to say, I, I I absolutely love what you're saying because it's like, again, it goes back to like, we started this conversation, right? Alignment. And, and if you're, if, especially right now, right, we all know that for a lot of the small breweries, they started canning, they're trying to get their distribution out there and they're just running. And part of it is, you know, is making that alignment. You, you know, sometimes you do have to be a chameleon. You have to sit down, slow down, understand the situation you're putting yourself in and, you know, and, and understand that viewpoint of who's sitting across the table. And that means sometimes being a little humble and kind of swallowing your pride. Like, yeah, you might think you have the best beer, but how many other brands do they have that have similar styles? How many other brands do they have? And like I said, it's hard right now because, you know, a lot of what's been happening in the industry was reactionary, right? And, and people have shifted on a dime. I was, you know, everything was draft and now I'm going to do canning and now I'm going to do and I got to figure out ways to get it. And they're just trying to get it out there. And like I said, sometimes it's always good to slow down in order to speed up. And by the way, that also works in yeast production. That's why it's <laughs> yeah, I think all the philosophies we're talking about kind of yeah. go around for all of us. And, you know, I, I want to go to another question we have in the comments right now, because while the question is based for the distributor angle, I think it really applies to Joanne and Rachel as well. And it's from Julie Rhodes. And she goes, with the health crisis causing skew rationalization across the board and the buyer and distributor level, can the panel suggest how suppliers, the breweries, cider houses, et cetera, can better arm their outside sales team to face our current and future market conditions? And I think this applies to everybody because we're all engaging differently these days. So how would you tackle that question? I mean, from the, again, strictly from, if you want to say industry supplier to the brewery, I mean, obviously we've had to, adapt everything we're doing, right? It was all face-to-face, -face. now we're not. So, are, you know, do they have the right technology for Zoom meeting? Do they have the right digital, you know, video production, whatever it is to educate people, to be able to outreach and making sure that the tools that we're providing to our salespeople are actually helping them make a sale when they can't be face-to-face. -face. I mean, fundamentally that has been like one of our biggest things and will continue to be, That's right? Awesome. And even, we've even shifted it too is, not even just the materials, but the spend. And it's been really interesting in the last two months. Hey, Joanne, here's my media kit. Hey, Joanne, here's my media kit. I'm like, we aren't doing these things anymore. Like we, like it, we, so now, again, it's kind of reevaluating really what does marketing look like? How do we support our salespeople? How do we support the industry, advertise everything else? So we've really kind of, again, taken a real step back and and made sure that when we are doing something that it actually is creating value for the company. I think on the for like for my clients because everyone obviously has changed over from you know selling your beer in the on-premise um, now everything's obviously shifted towards the canning and the crawlers um, you know it on the insurance side it's also 
big deliveries now, you know, and a lot of the times what we're finding um, is people are delivering and they're using their employees and, oh, they don't have auto insurance. I hate to, I always feel like a Debbie Downer when I'm, when I say these things like this, but at the end of the day, like, you know, it's, Hey, if you don't tell me that you've shifted everything, like you said, like on, on drop of a dime or, you know, you've got to let me know, like, what's going on? Like, are you, are your employees, first of all, are they covered? Do we have your workers comp or do you even have a workers comp policy in place? Secondly, what company or what vehicle are they using if they're home delivering? You know, we've got a lot of guys around here that are, you know, from all the way up in Bergen County, delivering all the way down to either Monmouth or Ocean or Hunterdon County. It's quite a drive. Um, you know, accidents happen. So it's, you know, letting us know what's going on. You're shifting your business, you know, from people coming to you and buying a crawler or buying a four pack to now you home delivering. So what that's a big, big thing. Um, you know, the other thing is if, if, if you started to offer something else, like whereas you were just brewing beer, now you're selling food. Well, that's a whole nother exposure. And we've, you know, if that's not covered, if those sales aren't covered and that new piece of equipment isn't, isn't covered and we don't know, and you just picked it up. It's, you know, it's, it's letting us know too, because we have so, we have so many clients, um, you know, whether, you know, I was talking about this earlier, you know, with a lawyer, you got to let them know if we need to, to add something to a document, you know, important piece of document. Um, if you buy a car for your own personal use, you're letting, you know, somebody know because you need insurance, you have to register it. Um, so it's, you know, having the breweries where they're shifting all of this, they've got to kind of let their suppliers know and their partners, like your lawyers, your accountants, your insurance agents know what's going on because if there is an auto accident, where who's covering it? Where is that where is that coverage, you know, coming from if there's any coverage there? Yeah, I think everything you're speaking to, Rachel, is just the value and importance of communication between partners in the industry. Because if you don't know their needs, you can't help them correctly. And it works both ways. Whether you're the brewery the supplier or the supplier brewery, you need to communicate what you're looking for. That's yeah. definitely very yeah. important. Now, and speaking so, of communication, oh, I was going to say, because even on the sales side, even though with everything's changed and, and you know, um, speaking to the workers comp again, just really quick, you, may, you said something that made me remind me. Um, when there's changes like that, if there's, you know, 10 people that you've had to, to furlough or you've had to, to fire, unfortunately laid off, whatever, you know, that's a huge chunk of money that can come back to you, you know, a huge chunk of premium. Because if you take 10 people off your payroll, you're paying for 10 people and it's been a few months, you know, and we don't know that we yeah. want, we want you to get that, that premium back. You know, if you take a car off your auto policy, you know, if you buy a new car, um, you know, just those simple changes can help you save money. And a lot of people don't, don't realize that. Um, but it's, you know, it's almost like that low hanging fruit, basically that, you know, as a salespeople, we are always taught to go after there's low. Hanging well, you're talking fruit. a lot about trust a moment ago. And I think trust is obviously a vital part of any relationship. And Joanne, I kind of want to change the conversation topic for a sec. White Labs has done such a good job with your video content through all of this. I've been really impressed with the pivots you've made during the pandemic. And, and now I want to kind of talk about, you know, how has the supplier's role, distributor's role in relationship changed during the pandemic 
with regard to the content and communication that you're putting out there? Do you feel you've started putting out more educational content because you had to or you wanted to? Or, you know, how has your approach to maintaining these relationships with your partners changed? And Randy, I, you know, I'd love to hear on your perspective, you know, how your relationship with the distributors has changed through all of this and your other partners. Don't forget to unmute yourself. See, I put it on now. I was like, and it's quiet too. You know, fundamentally, we've always been about education. But, you know, for us, let's, I mean, White Labs has always kind of been known as the party fun company, right? And like, we, we missed being in front of people. Like, we, like, we, like, we made 25th anniversary belt buckles for San Antonio. Like we, I was so excited. We like, I had a party booked at the Alamo, you know, we love making those connections and we can't do it. Right. And so out of that creativity, excitement and passion, you know, I told my staff, I'm like, we have to find ways of, of actually engaging with people. And so education fundamentally is who we are. And I basically let the marketing team go have, I might go do something. I, you know, and that's how we started the pitch. That's, you know, and then our salespeople started saying, well, you know, it'd be really cool tips from the pitch because again, it helps brewers. And the nice part is it helps brewers when they want to be helped, not when I want to go talk to you. So fundamentally the relationship for suppliers has really changed where a lot of it would be going to visit, having those parties, being there. And now it's like, how do I create a connection when you want to have a connection when you have five minutes and it's 10 o'clock at night? I want to little learn a little bit more about Hazy IPA. And so that's kind of fundamentally where we're going with it is that now those relationships can still be made in a way that works for the person on the other end instead of just being on a Zoom call or just being on a phone call or just having a text. And I think we're going to see that continue. And so like I said, we'll always have educational content, but we'll always have some fun content too, right? Um, yeah, we have our 25th anniversary really cool video that just hit my inbox before this meeting. Um, and it will be live on YouTube uh, tomorrow after we show it internally. Nice. But, you know, I just, I think it's going to be a, like fundamentally moving forward. Suppliers are always going to be held accountable for, like we said, the best quality product at the, at the, at the, at a price that makes sense, right? We can't always be the cheapest to Rachel's point, And I don't think we always should be and that we're supporting it technically. And we're here for you to make sure that the beer that you put out, that everything that we've offered you helps you put that, that high quality beer and that high quality experience for the people drinking your beer, you know, but now we also have to make sure that we're doing it on your terms, which means that it doesn't, it doesn't work for when I want to walk into your brewery, when I finally can go in and visit you again, or when I want to have that phone call, that it can work when you have the chance to be able to create that relationship. So, No, that's great from the educational standpoint. But looking at the communication standpoint, how have you maintained communication with a lot of the breweries you provide for? Have you been doing like check-in texts, phone calls, or what are the ways you've maintained that personal aspect? Um, you know, again, Zoom meetings, phone calls. I'm like, Rachel, if if you're in my inner circle, you get my Facebook updates and stuff. <laughs> so those, you know, I mean, for me personally, from the perspective of, you know, my, my immediate group of clients is the international group. And so we've actually done a couple really funny, like Zoom happy hours across 10 time zones kind of thing. Like, and so the, just that, right? And then I make sure that I'm, I'm, Again, I'll send an email, you know, at night because I know that it's it's the time zone when somebody from Australia or Japan might be working. And then all of a sudden they'll tell you know they'll 
text me or email me back and then we can have a phone conversation. But at the end of the day, what I love the most is I can text you. I can email you. That's great. I also WeChat and WhatsApp. I have my own handles. Um, but I love picking up the phone. Absolutely love picking up the phone. It is so fun when the when when WeChat goes off, and you sit and you tell the person I, I'm on the other, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting there having a WeChat with a Chinese brewer. And you know what's been happening in China? What's going on? Sort of what we did at the beginning of this call, right? Not even talking about beer, just talking about how you've been doing. How's everything going? Are you still okay? All right. You know, and I think I think that part of, you know, this industry and those relationships, you know, you, you have to take the time and make sure that you're fostering them however you can. And in COVID, it's, you know, it's adapted over time. And I don't mean to be short, but I do need to go. So on that, thank you for the Joanne, opportunity. Joanne, it's always a pleasure having you. Yeah. If you guys have any, if anybody has any questions that's on the comments or that watched, you know, you know, you guys know how to find me either through the group or, you know, at White Labs. Um, yeah. And uh, thanks, you guys. Everybody have a wonderful holiday. And I look forward to next year at some point getting to do this in person. We're going to share a beer soon, Joanne. Uh, well, thank you again for being here. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye, Joanne. And a little shout out to Joanne. No matter what hour I email Joanne, she responds back near immediately. It's super <laughs> impressive. And she's great with checking in. So her and White Labs have been doing great things during the pandemic. But now I've got you two here still, so I love to continue the conversation. You know, how have you maintained these relationships with your partners, you know, during the pandemic? Well, so, so I'll tell okay. you, that we, we, we just kicked off a, a newsletter uh, that's going out to our distributors. Come the new year, we're going to try and um, put together a, a consumer newsletter. One of the things that, we, that we're really uh, focused on, you know, the, the, the question that came through with, you know, there has been an absolute bottleneck at access to, to market through distributors, through retailers. Everyone's very gun shy about bringing in new products, adding new uh, SKUs to to their uh, portfolio, whether you're talking about a, a retailer or, or a distributor. And so creating more of a pull through um, where we're communicating directly to our consumers is something that we're, uh, you know, raising into a much higher priority uh, for for how we do things. You know, we're we're distributed in 30 states plus Washington D.C., uh, so we've been very dependent on. Uh, a sales force that unfortunately is no longer uh, the, the size and strength that it was pre-COVID uh, and, and a distributor uh, network that has also, you know, uh, met all these limitations of, of, uh, of closures and everything else. So creating demand for the beer from the consumer directly is uh, is a high, high priority for us. We're, we're uh haven't pivoted as quickly as White Labs, but looking to start our YouTube channel and start doing more content of our owners, of our team. You know, I think right now, uh, people, again, we, I, I go back to the word genuine a lot. People want to peek behind the curtain. They, they don't want to just see you're a big brewery with fancy packaging. They want to know what's going on. I think I think they want to hear about uh, the trials and tribulations that, that we're all facing, you know, get the, that sense that we're all real people. And, uh, and, and, and I think that's going to create create uh you know, you know again that that emotional connection of just like yeah i like those guys I like what they're doing you know you know they've, they've got some fun programs going on and uh you know i, I want to use my consumer dollars to uh to support businesses i believe in i believe in their their ethos their 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 philosophies and so uh you know you know spreading that uh that kind of sentiment through uh through 
genuine communication is is what we're going to be focused on. So, Randy, you made a really interesting point that 21st Amendment's going directly to the consumer, you know, versus sales team that you used to have to try to drum up new sales. How do you anticipate that will change following the pandemic, where maybe you're able to, you know, have your sales force a little bit more active? Will you still go directly to the consumer with the efforts you guys have pulled out, you know, through the pandemic, or how is that going to change your approach looking forward? Well, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, on paper, we should be stronger and better than we were coming into this because we will go back to a stronger sales force. We will build that team back up to its previous uh, size and strength. And hopefully we're going to learn uh, and, and develop some new channels to directly communicate to consumers. I think there's going to be a lot of positives that come from this period of time uh, that, that we've you know been forced into these things. You know, uh, uh, what, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of creation. I, I, I think we're, you know, we're, we're going to end up having these channels that will continue to foster and continue to, uh, to grow while also trying to get back to um, you know, some of the strengths that we had previously. No, I love your focus. Now, do we expect 21st Amendment to have a TikTok start tomorrow? You know, I, I actually had to look in. I, I downloaded it recently to, to learn more about it. But uh, with me at the helm, it might be a little while. Because <laughs> I got to tell you, Rachel's been killing an insurance TikTok channel there. She's been nice. killing it. Nice. No, you know, it's funny. Um, I was I did one and because I, I ch finally figured out how to actually do a TikTok. And, um, and then my girlfriend was like, you need to delete that app real quick. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, I just had fun with it. So I did delete it. So she was like, there's some conspiracy going on. Like they're watching, they're watching you. But I was going to say like, to kind of, to kind of like your, what you were talking about, Randy. So, and I don't know if you're answering the question there, but so for, for us and kind of my philosophy is. I don't want to like vomit on you that I'm selling you insurance. Like I don't want to ever do that. Like I, that is not who I am. You know, I've always followed the the philosophy people buy from people they like, um, you know, and that's done. I've, I think that I've gotten, gotten very far and been very successful in my almost 20 years of being a bartender an account manager, a district manager with Sam Adams now, you know, kind of running the whole Cedar Brew side of things. Um, you know, this year has been challenging and, and, you know, especially for, for somebody like me, who's a mom of three little kids, like my husband was essential working in construction. Like it was me home with the kids selling insurance, trying to keep up life and everything going on. And, you know, we have, I started our Instagram page like five, five years ago, I think it was. And you will rarely ever see and Facebook, you'll rarely ever see like an insurance something like an insurance ad or content because it's, you know, we want you to know that like we have so much fun and like when we're together in our office, like we cook in the office, you know, like we make, we've actually brewed two batches of beer in our office. You know, we're home brewers, you know, we, if you ever go onto our Cedar brew Instagram, um, it's you'll find me sliding across my kitchen floor, opening up a can of beer. And, you know, that's that's my thing. Um, you know, just recently when it started snowing, I went and slid across the, the deck and opened a beer. Like so it's I, I'm here to sell you insurance and make sure you're properly protected. But I'm never going to be like, why aren't you working with us? Like, don't you know the statistics of what's going on out there? It's just that 
to me is so salesy. I won't even go out. Like I like the, the, the car warranty or the serious sex. Like I delete it. I, I disconnect real quick. But when it's something fun and light and content, like the content's fun, you know, that's what I see the same people like liking and, and viewing the videos and everything. Um, you know, and we've had a lot of people reach out to us that way. Like, Hey, you sell insurance too. Like, can we talk? And, and so it's like, that's how we've been able to con constantly connect with people. And, you know, we're, um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying my best at multitasking. Well produced. I love well it. Produced. And that was my nine and a half year old daughter, um, uh, recording that one she's like mom another sliding video i'm like oh yeah i mean let's go it's lunchtime you're off school right now daddy's at work no rachel i absolutely love that because it makes what you do more human and right now i think we all need to relate to people and just hearing you know about insurance about just complicated technical issues it gets a little stressful we need a break and we need just that interaction like we're having right now. And we've been ending every single panel with the exact same question. So I'm going to give you that question right now. You know, looking back on 2020, it's been quite the year, you know, to say the least. But what has been a bright spot in your world, whether personal, business? Give us something a little positive to take away from your life from this year. Besides having to have three kids at home for learning. <laughs> Go ahead, Randy. Well, I'll, I'll go with the easy and obvious one. I became a father at, uh, at, um, in December of uh, 2019. And so, uh, I have a silver lining of going to work from home, uh, for my job is I've got to be home with, uh, the most precious little human I know, uh, every day as, as he's, uh, you know, come through his first year of life. <laughs> I had a son six months before you did, and I've had a lot of the same feelings, just the extra time at home. Man, it's been great. I mean, a little distracting at times, though, I must say, when he's downstairs right now and I hear a scream or a cry of joy, but it's been great being at home. I love it, Randy. I would say that's probably the same thing. You know, it's it's being home with my kids. And, and I'll, I listen, I'm as human as they come. I am a New Jersey Italian girl. Like, I will wear my emotions all over the place. Like, I have cried a lot this year. <laughs> but a lot of, and drank a lot of beer to counteract that. But, you know, a lot of it is, you know, I've been able to be home with the kids. And, and, and I will say, like, our the company I work for, it's a family company, and family always comes first. So even before this, you know, it was something happens with the kids, bye, see you later, go. That's your first priority. So that's always been um, something that's been, you know, with within our core values. Um, but, you know, being able to wake up in the morning and I will say this, I love what I do so much. Like I, I wake up in the morning and I get to go to work, not I have to go to work. And that's been my that's been my thinking with Cedar Brew and with Sam Adams. And and but being able to wake up and get everybody ready and then start my work day and work around their um, uh, their schedules has been great because, you know, even in this day and age now, you know, you have the essential workers that have to ship their kids off to a daycare or a babysitter and they have to go work 12, 15 hours. That's like 
I couldn't even imagine. And and my heart just goes out to you know those parents that have to do that. We're lucky enough that we're able to be home and watch our kids grow. And you know when they start screaming and crying, we can just go and comfort them. Um, you know, so that's been great. But the other thing too is that I've worked with I think twenty new breweries and distilleries and kombucha brewers and cider cider houses that have opened this year. So being able to to work with them, that's first of all a huge accomplishment in this year. But then you know when I get to see them like from beginning to open during a pandemic, like that's just it. It's like watching your child take their first steps. So a lot of that's things. a theme I've had in so many conversations the past couple of days. Just you know watching others find unique ways to survive, succeed, and build relationships during this pandemic has been the most rewarding part of it all. I mean, just whether it's with the kid or the brewery that you're helping you just just launch brand in the middle of a pandemic, it's it's truly heartwarming and inspiring. And you guys' energy today has absolutely been fantastic. I think this is one of my favorite parts of the pandemic, just talking to happy people because that gets us through the year. We've only got a few more days left. So I'd like to thank you both again and Joanne and Kelly for being here today because, you know, while we were talking about brewery distributor supplier relationships, at the end of the day, they're all relationships and a lot of the qualities you put into every individual relationship are going to be the same overall. So I appreciate you sharing such great wisdom and good luck making it through the rest of 2020. It's going to be a good year next year. We'll be sharing beers in person soon. So cheers, everyone. Thank Thanks you. again. Bye, guys. Bye, Rachel. Bye, Randy. Bye.